Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Steve Huber, and uh, I'm a pastor of the Liberty Church in Philadelphia, and I've had the privilege, um, we had the privilege of being a sister church, kind of a mother church for Liberty Harrisburg. It's always a joy to be with you. I also serve as the director of the Liberty Network, and uh, it's fun to, to see you and to be here. We're going to continue this series on marriage and talk about intimacy and sex in marriage. And so this, this uh, sermon, it's not going to be crazy, but it's probably running about a PG-13. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, yeah, that's about where we're tuning this in. And hopefully this will be helpful. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll look at God's Word. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not only a good, perfect creator God, but you are a redeemer. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we depend upon your Holy Spirit to be here. We thank you that you are a God who's not left us in the dark or abandoned us in a world of noise and chaos and confusion but you have helpfully communicated. And we pray for greater understanding of your truth. We seek to humble ourselves right now. We admit that there's much we don't understand. We admit that there's much that we don't understand about your word. And we admit our limits. And yet you've called us to use our minds and, and our bodies as we seek to know you and, and worship you and live out of the love that you have extend to us and Jesus. So please help us. Please come and reveal yourself. Open your word to our hearts and open our hearts and minds to your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. So you guys have been doing a series on marriage. That's fun. Uh, marriage from God for good. And I'm going to read a couple verses in Song of Songs, which is page, and look, I just lost it. Uh, it's page 563, page 563 in the Bibles that are on the chairs. These couple verses that I'm going to read. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. And after, after the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's this very small book that is a collection of, of erotic Hebrew poetry, uh, which is your favorite kind of Hebrew poetry, the erotic kind. Uh, So it's a fun Sunday to be here. Congratulations. Chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. And uh, I've read this at length before here at Liberty Harrisburg. Just going to read a couple verses now, uh, and we'll launch into this sermon. So chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. My love, my beloved, has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the garden, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And this is God's word. Now, how does the gospel shape intimacy in marriage. There's going to be application, obviously, for married people, 
also, as you've been going through the series on marriage, there's a lot that needs to be understood in how you live as a single person. That point has been made before. That's also going to happen in this sermon. But how does the gospel shape our enjoyment and practice of sexual intimacy? Five things to think about. Okay, this sermon is kind of a, a quick sermon. You have to kind of do an overview, um, but very practical ways the gospel shapes the enjoyment and practice of intimacy. One, first view is this. Jesus calls us to have our understanding of sex shaped through the lens of his reality and truth. Jesus calls us to view sex through the lens of the gospel. When I say the gospel, that's a a theological word. It means the good news about Jesus, his reality, his truth, his word, his presence. And what you see in scripture, how does the Bible, how do the scriptures call us to view sex? Uh, Sexual intimacy is a gift. It's a gift. And uh, when you get a gift, I believe I've used this illustration before in Harrisburg, when you get a gift to properly enjoy it, you need to know what it is. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Um, you open up a gift at Christmas time from Grandma, and you look at this thing, and you're like, Grandma, thank you so much for this. It's so nice, and I will enjoy it. What you're wondering is, what is this? What is this? To enjoy a gift... Right, that's basic. To enjoy a gift, you have to know what it's for. Have you opened a hunting rifle, a smartphone, <laughs> an afghan? You need to know what the gift is for. Now, uh, one of the ways that pastors, uh, there's different teachers that have summed up the gift of sex in this way, uh, the, the three purposes of it, the three aspects of the gift, and I'm going to use their language. Sex delights creates and unites. So obviously are all verbs. That's what sex does. That's what the gift is for. It delights, creates, and unites. Now, sex delights. And when if you uh, take some time and read through Song of Solomon, and they're reaching for language, and they're captivated. It's about these two lovers, and they're captivated by their love for each other, their enjoyment of each other, and they are enraptured physically, and they describe each other and actually describe body parts that are, uh, it's, it's like embarrassing to read, you know. And the more you know about Hebrew, which I had the privilege of studying in seminary, the more you realize how explicit it is. It is like frank enjoyment of each other physically and totally. And the... Uh, This is kind of a summary verse here. My beloved has gone down to his garden. She is his garden, his place of delights, to the beds of spices. And she's saying, my body is a place of spice and enjoyment and delight for you. You have come and enjoyed me, that's what she's saying, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And there's this mutual delight in each other. It's not just him enjoying her. She's very much into him and enjoying him. And sex, um, sex is fun. It's supposed to be. So everybody knows that. No one like, wrote that down. 
And by the way, sex is supposed to be fun. Um, it's important to look at biblically, though, because a caricature of Christian truth is like, look, God is like anti-sex, Christians are prudes, and this is sad and actually very unscriptural and unbiblical. It's really weird. Actually, in the Middle Ages, okay, Middle Ages, Greek thought, um, ultimately going back to Plato, which there's a whole system of Greek thought that taught that anything body, anything to do with your body in the material world is inherently less spiritual. The material world, body, it's less spiritual. So actually to be a kind of a super Christian, to be like an Eagle Scout Christian, you need to completely uh, flip down all the off switches on all of your sexual desires. And it was sad because the church actually caved in to worldly thinking. It was a popular philosophy at the time. Hey, to really be a spiritual person, you've got to deny bodily desires. Sex is obviously a bodily desire. You've got to turn all that stuff off. And the church actually gave in to and supported that idea. It's, there's sort of something inherently wacky and a little bit dirty about sex. And this has been lived out in many different ways. Many of us grew up in homes where you could ask your dad baseball stats. You could ask your dad, how do I fix this car? But to say, hey, dad, uh, I have a question about sex. It would have like, the DJ would have dragged the needle across the record right then. You know, it would just stopped everything. And there, it was, what was being communicated here, okay, sex does have this unique power mystery. There is unique honor. But what can be communicated in Christian homes, which is really tragic and sad, is there's something inherently wrong with being curious about this, which is really sad. It's very unhealthy. It's bad. It's actually not the way God calls us to think. And that's why Song of Solomon is this wonderful sort of corrective to that. Here it is in the scriptures that God has given to the world for all time this frank um, enjoyment of the delight of sex within marriage. And it reminds us, uh, sex delights, it's not, why does God give it commands about sex? And I'll just hit this really quick, um, just talk about this real briefly, because we've talked about it before. God is protecting something precious. He doesn't, God doesn't like, Hey, what are things that are fun that people like to do? I'll sit around and invent laws against that, because that's my heart. Secretly, there's a piece of us that thinks that. It's actually very sad and wrong. Um, God's heart is to protect something precious. And um, there's some advice you can ignore in life. There's very little consequence. I happen to be an owner of a couple cats, rescued Philadelphia street cats. Apparently, I learned this on the internet, you're actually supposed to brush your cat's teeth. I don't know if you knew that. That's a true thing. There, you're actually, that advice is out there. You're actually supposed to do that. I'm going to level with you here. I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's not happening in my house. And I don't expect there to be some really harsh consequences for that. 
you can send me an email. You really should think, you know, sell me on it, okay? I'm just saying that's where I'm at. Uh, that's where I'm at on that piece of advice. When uh, we disregard, when you're in ignorance of what God says about sex, you just don't know about it, or you disregard it, there are just different consequences. And uh, God is the inventor of it. Uh, I grew up in western Pennsylvania where the Zambelli family had a firework company. And the, the grandfather who was over the whole Zambelli organization, and they've done firework shows around the world, world-famous fireworks company from western Pennsylvania, uh, the grandfather, George Zambelli, his quote was, fireworks are always exciting. They're magical. Yet, okay, he sold on the goodness of fireworks. Yet, there are certain rules. When you buy the ones that shoot up into the sky, uh, don't light them in the car on the way home. Okay, that's a bad idea. Just so you know. Some people are like taking notes. Okay, that's important. I should know that about fireworks. You know, you need to be outside. <laughs> you need to be in the right place. There was actually, uh, there was a Vietnam vet in my hometown that had a, who worked for the Zambelli fireworks company that had a hole in the brim of his uh, baseball hat where he'd almost blown his nose off. And he shared with me, uh, I remember as a young boy, saying, yeah, you, you actually had to take the instructions with those pretty seriously, actually. And he had the hole in his hat, okay? Um, if someone said to George Zambelli, the creator of fireworks. Well, yeah, yeah, you have these rules about when we should light fireworks and where we're supposed to do it. You're just not in the fireworks. George Zambelli would say, they're always magical, but my heart and these instructions is to protect that magic and that joy. God is actually trying to protect something and deepen our joy. And there's some advice in this world that, yeah, really, frankly, it doesn't matter if you listen to it or not. And it's advice that's out there. What God has said uh, about the power of this gift, which Song of Solomon doesn't have no commands. There's like one command. Do not arouse or awaken love until the right time. Just do this at the right time. And all the rest is celebration. Just celebration. But know that the heart behind God's advice is because of the power of this gift. And um, many of us, and sex is a powerful gift, for good, and it can also really hurt as well. It can be damaging when misused. And unfortunately, in any gathering, in any church, anywhere, many of us know that. We know that. We've experienced that. At the wrong time, it can be damaging. Um, so sex is a powerful gift. And the purposes are delight. Sex delights, creates, and unites. I'm just going to say something really quick. Uh, sex delights, we covered that, creates. Two human beings, being one, create another human being. That's actually a wonderful thing. It's not an unfortunate consequence of an otherwise pleasurable activity. 
supposed to laugh there. You're like, yeah, that's screwed up thinking. No, that's, no, that's not right. That's a wonderful mystery. That's a part of the, uh, the beauty of this gift. And uh, do believe that uh, in our stewardship of sexuality, contraception is okay. Believe that biblically. Don't have time to go into that now. And yet, the creating aspect of sexual intimacy is part of the gift. We need to have that on our radar. And the last is the uniting aspect. Sex is a way that two people become one, physically, in the sex act itself, and that's reflected in this poetry here. What's said, what's, this is the, a refrain that actually appears several times in these poems. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I am my loved one's, and my lover, he is mine. We belong to each other. And the Bible, God in love says, this is what this is for. Sex is about oneness. It's about deep oneness, and it's mysterious. But when we divide the uniting aspect for it, for it, when someone says, hey, I just want it to be about fun, I don't want it to be about being one with you, uh, Part of you're denying an aspect of the gift, and either... You have to be someone who is constantly broken up because your lovers leave, or you have to harden that aspect of your humanity. I'm just going to use sex for conquest or sex to get validation or sex for enjoyment. It's not going to be about oneness. And unfortunately, what happens is when you flip that switch off, hey, sex isn't about oneness anymore. When there comes a time in life, hey, I want it to be about oneness with you, it's really hard. That switch isn't easily flipped back on when you deny that aspect of sexuality. It's not easy. It takes a lot of healing to see it that way and experience it that way. Um, So... Sex is a gift for delight. It delights, creates, and unites. And our, this world, the pendulum swings both ways. The attitude, sex is sort of not from God, kind of dirty. Actually, that's wrong. That's really sad. Read the Song of Solomon. Look at the whole Bible. Look at a, a God that created a world and called it good. Right? That's how the Bible begins. God created. All of creation shows off his goodness. All of it. So that is actually a wrong, it is a damaging lie that sex is not from God. Another damaging lie is sex is not just a gift, but it is like, sex is not just a gift from God, it is God. (laughs) The lie that, uh, I'll read a quote from Ross Douthit, who wrote it, Uh, He's an editorial writer for the New York Times, and he wrote this editorial in May 2014. He pointed this out about this cultural moment in our country. Sexual fulfillment is treated by our culture as the source and summit of a life well lived, the thing without which nobody, from a careless college student to a Cialis-taking senior, can be truly happy, enviable, or free. 
the other air, one says sex is not from God. It's kind of dirty. The other air, sex is God. Sex is the thing to make your life almost revolve around and the thing without which you can't be fulfilled as a person, which is just not true. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an idol. When you expect too much, make your source and fulfillment, deepest fulfillment in life, on a created thing and not God himself, that's called idolatry. And that also is a damaging lie. So um, there's all different kinds of ways that things get skewed there. Let me read this quote, and I'm going to ask this of the married couples in the, married couples in the room, because this is sort of where I want to go with the rest of the sermon. In marriage, sex uh, should be, if we're growing spiritually, seeking healing in the ways that we need healing, it should, we should want it to get better and more enjoyable over time. We should try to get better at it and more enjoyment from it and enjoy it in a way that uh, really blesses our spouse and honors God. And if it doesn't get better, it's basically, it's not just a sexual issue, it's really a spiritual growth issue. There's some things going on spiritually, could be, that are hampering that. One of the things that can happen is just having too low of an expectation, not recognize the goodness of this gift. Let me read this quote from Dan Allender and Trumper Longman. Sex is meant by God to be one of the bridge experiences between earth and heaven. It awakens in intersex our deepest physical and spiritual desires. Sex, like music, fills us simultaneously with notes of an intense, imminent bodily pleasure and with the sonorous reverberations of another world that is transcendent and holy. Let me sum that up. Um, They're simply saying sex is a taste of heaven and there's spiritual longing that we actually experience. Other things are a taste of heaven too, a slight taste, never satisfies completely. We long to be with Jesus. We long for that new heaven and new earth, which we were encouraged by in the liturgy this morning. But, uh, yeah, good sex is a taste of heaven. And so to ask the married couples in the room, is your expectation level, where is it? Is it idolatrously high and it's maybe been shaped by the culture and pornography, and you've got wacky baggage on that end, or is it weirdly low, and you need to read Song of Solomon? Why is that there? It's actually for married couples, and instructs young people too, but it's for married couples. It's a celebration of sexuality. Is your expectation in your marriage too low? What could be going on there? Well, let's continue. That was just, that was point one, so I got to keep on moving. Four more quick points. We got to view sex through the lens of the gospel. The second thing, if, and this maybe will help you if your view of sex is too low, you have to view your past through the lens of the gospel. I'm going to put a verse up here. Uh, go ahead, Adam. Help me out here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So this is a letter to a church, and he's been 
going on for 12 chapters about God's mercy to us in the gospel through Jesus Christ. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's what he's been talking about, God's mercy to us in Jesus. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, he's been talking about how, since God's mercy has come to us in Jesus Christ, how God has brought a complete, total, and effective, I'm looking for other words, a complete and total and eternal forgiveness to us. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There are many sexual pasts and mistakes in this room right now, both among single people and married people. How are we to think of those? God, in his mercy and love, sent Jesus Christ to die for all of our sins, every single one. That's how deep his mercy goes. Jesus died for all of our sins, and we view our past through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. And actually, the, the rhythm of confessing those things is necessary. That's what we did. Like, we think about this past week, and we prayed a prayer this morning about our indifference to oppression and justice issues. We sought to repent of that afresh this morning. We need to know definitively for the ways that we have strayed, ignored God. Uh, maybe you didn't know what God said. Maybe you did, and you just blew it off, and you ignored it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for those sins. Every single one. And how we view our past and what we do with that shame, we see that shame and those mistakes only through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. It's really, really good news. And it's softening and transformative. I chose this verse. There's a lot of verses you could have... uh, we could have looked at, but it talks about, hey, normal spiritual growth is renewal in mind. Actually, put that verse back up there for a second. Uh, It's renewal in mind. Normal spiritual growth involves transformation that has in it a deep renewal of our way of thinking and figuring things out, discerning what is the way to live. Since God... His view of his mercies, which he's been, the Apostle Paul has just been going off about for 11 chapters. This is how much God has been merciful to you. The only way to respond to that, we say with our bodies and our lives, God, I'm yours. You live, your life is now God's. God, you have, Jesus, you have forgiven me. Your life, your body is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God has made you Here's how powerful Jesus is. Because of Jesus, you are perfectly holy and acceptable to God. How effective of a Savior is Jesus? Well, he was a biggest, he was an effective, he's an effective Savior to the degree that he makes you and me and everyone connected with him 
completely holy and acceptable to God. God delights in us. He lavishes his love on us. I'm getting ready to preach on Ephesians 1 next week, and the word lavish is in there. We've been lavished by God's grace. That's how effective Jesus is. That affects how we view all of our mistakes, and then the reason why we seek to live a different life, it's responsive. We're responding to God's mercy, and we seek to, in our sexual lives, in every area of our life, give our life to God. Our life is a living sacrifice to Him. It's a way of saying our life is offered to God. And there is renewal in our thinking. Now, what can this renewal of thinking, what does this mean sexually? Here's what sin does. Sin does two awful things. One, you don't feel guilty when you should. Sin can harden the heart so that things that, say, like ogling other women on the street when you're a married man or as a single man, you should feel like, you know what, I'm not honoring that person made in God's image. There's something twisted and wrong about this. But sin can harden the heart so we don't feel guilty when we should. And then God wakes us up. And the other thing that happens that's really sad, people feel guilty when they shouldn't. And there have been a, um, a lot of discussions Christine and I have had with couples at Liberty East where there's a spouse who says, like, I know God wants us to delight in each other. I, I know uh, the Song of Solomon. I'm, I'm learning about this. And yet there's this baggage from the past. There's a distaste for sexual intimacy and a reversion of it. Then I know it's probably connected to some bad things. And maybe it's even abuse. And there needs to be healing there. Or you're just used by a way. Or you used others. And all different kinds of, of wires have been crossed. And sometimes it can be helpful to unpack that with a, a loving, wise person or a counselor. How has that affected you? And what happens is a spouse feels guilty when they shouldn't. And so part of their healing, put that verse up there one more time, uh, is to think through what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, the Song of Solomon delight in each other. There'll be instinctive feelings of this isn't that enjoyable or this, this is wrong if I desire this. And that's actually not from God. And it's really sad. And there's all different kinds of ways that the message in the world about sex is not our friend. I'll mention two. Uh, one aimed at men and one at women. Though they apply to both genders, okay? Uh, there was a study in Neuroimage magazine in 2008. Um, basically, this study demonstrated how men don't just watch porn, they enter it. They enter into it. And so, what secular studies are showing, not just like preachers or people who believe the Bible, is that living in, in a world of an imaginary harem affects a person's ability to delight and give themselves to a real flesh and blood person. Sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It messes with you. It actually 
porn, one of the really sad effects of it is it changes the wiring of your brain. Like, do, they, do these get studies of guys who are addicted to porn, and the way their brain is wired, it looks like a heroin addict's brain. I'm not making that up. Like, look up the studies. And healing over time and freedom, uh, which just needs to be fought out in community and with others and with a clear view of the gospel and with accountability, um, actually your brain is rewired. You're testing what is good and acceptable and perfect. And um, men and women, if you're in that fight, don't give up that fight. Get help in that fight. Believe Jesus is able to be in that fight with you. Get help in that fight. Don't be alone in that fight. But yeah, that, that affects marital intimacy and our enjoyment of it. What are we bringing into the bedroom, literally? Um, another uh, thing that messes with people, I'm going to quote Miley Cyrus, which you expected me to. Uh, she has this interview over the summer, and it's really sad because she talked about how being on Hannah Montana, a Disney show, right? It's a Disney show. You don't think, Disney, you're awful for the world, you know? That's not typically what people think, but she talked about being a little girl playing the role of a blonde pop star. She had to play a pop star, Hannah Montana, who was supposed to be 16. She started playing that character when she was 11, Miley Cyrus is obviously a brunette, and she was told, quote, this is from the interview, I was told for so long what a girl is supposed to look like from being in that show. And it was blonde, it was dressing in a racy way, put on, quote, some glittery tight thing. And she just talked about how that warped her image of beauty. And the, um, and she talked about um, she's a beautiful woman, but she talked about even today on Instagram when you see the, the airbrushed photos, how that messes with her. And I'm just saying this is another area where men and women, we need to think through what real beauty is. And yes, physical beauty is a part of it, but also character. And it's a way that we're not testing what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it hurts people. You know, read the article, and your heart goes out to Miley Cyrus and little girls who are being shaped, not just little girls, adult, men and women both, by that, by that damage. Uh, we view our past through the lens of the gospel, and we begin to discern what is good and acceptable is perfect. How does God want us to think about our bodies? What does that mean for our present? Point number three, we need to view our present through the lens of the, the gospel. Okay? This includes our body. Now, we looked at Romans 12, 1 through 2 a couple times. And what, what could be more practical than that? You want to know how to worship? In response to Jesus' mercy, give your body to God. Your body which will one day be resurrected by the risen Christ. Look at your hand right now <laughs> and, and think of your body. If you're connected to Jesus, your physical body will one day be resurrected. 
And we'll have transformed bodies like Jesus' body. And we're supposed now to live in light of that. We give our bodies to God. Now, uh, what does that mean? Our, our life is not our own. It's the Lord's, our, our body. Now, we've we got a couple more verses here. Adam's going to help me out. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I'm just throwing that out there. This is like basic Christian stuff. If you believe in Jesus... There's nothing that exists in creation or eternity that will separate you from the love of Jesus. God has a bond with you that not cancer, uh, jail, persecution, being betrayed, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And there's a freedom in that. And so this is just like a basic Christian thing. No matter what happens to you, if we're alive or when we go through the gate of death, we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. He's not going to lose us. He doesn't misplace us. We belong to him. And this means our body is not our own. Okay, Jesus, God sent Jesus to purchase it. So we've got a couple more verses here. Um, the church in Corinth had a special sort of issue they were thinking through. Go back to that 1 Corinthians 6 one. There, were, there was ritual prostitution there in a, a temple for a, the goddess of sexuality in Corinth. And they were doing some wacky stuff. And so the Apostle Paul says, actually, if you're a Christian, don't visit temple prostitutes. Okay? Now, how does... What's part of the reasons why he says not to do that? He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We have this freedom and joy and calling. Jesus died for us, and so we honor God in our bodies. It means our bodies belong to Jesus. It also means... And, let me just stop here for a moment. This is a countercultural way to think. In our culture right now, what do we say? It's my body. I can do whatever I want to my body. It's my body. I can do, I am the master of my own destiny. I create my own meaning. Uh, in this cultural moment, you can do whatever you want to your body. The gospel says we receive these bodies from God and God in Jesus saved us and these bodies. And so part of our worship is we recognize our bodies are God's. And en enjoyment of sex in marriage is one of those gifts. But we recognize in everything we do, no matter what it is, we belong to God. Our body's not our own. It's the Lord's. It's also our spouse's. Now get this. He goes on this next chapter. 1 Corinthians 7. Um... Look at this verse 3. So the Corinthians had wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul's quoting them. See, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they wrote to him. He actually says, hold up now. <laughs> Let's think through that. Is that actually the best thing? And he actually, as a single man, is like, no. <laughs> Wrong, okay? He quotes them, and they kind of had this, uh, basically, 
anti-biblical teaching. And Paul has to, uh, like, exhort Timothy in one of his letters to Timothy. He has to say, okay, the people are forbidding marriage. It's actually not good. Everything created by God is good, and it's to be received with thanksgiving and made holy by the word of God in prayer. Uh, this is one of those times when he takes what they said and now corrects it. But because of temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the prevalence of temptation is, is one of the reasons why God he actually wants us to enjoy sex and marriage. And he says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Some of you are probably going like, to make that your life verse right now, as of now. There might be some other issues in there. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he basically says, no, Corinthians, that's not a good thought. It is not good to have sex in marriage. And he says, okay, if you're like, let's pray a whole bunch and just skip sex for a while. He says, you could kind of do that. Not for that long. Probably wouldn't be good. You know, not like, we're going to take the next three years off. Not a good idea. Uh, and he makes this point, you belong to each other. That's what being one is. Marriage is a way to say, I'm yours forever, you're mine forever. In the Lord's sight, I am yours, you are mine. Now you notice, uh, this is to be given, not demanded. And so a loving spouse, when another spouse is struggling with enjoyment of sexual intimacy, you don't lord this over them or, or beat this up with this, but you gently say, I love you and I hope we can enjoy each other. And uh, you urge each other in the Lord if, if there's somehow a struggle with guilt or different amounts of desire to enjoy this together and it's a gift to be given, not demanded. But one of the ways that um, God calls us to think our body is the Lord's. Our body, if you're married, is your spouse's, which is a beautiful thing. Like, this belongs to you. I am your servant. Now, the fourth thing is just the fourth view. View your spouse through the lens of the gospel. And all the stuff on marriage, here's what I want to talk about. Here's the paradox. Um, what have you been going through in this marriage series? Well, there's submission for the sake of the Lord. There's self-giving love to the point of suffering for the sake of the Lord. And the paradox is, when two people are saying, I'm here to serve you, and that should be all of life, and not just in the bedroom, but in the bedroom, I want to serve you more than be served, what happens? Here's the mystery and the paradox. It becomes way more enjoyable. When there's humility, when there's humility, like, hey, you might need to learn to be a better sermon. You might need to learn what your spouse appreciates and likes and does not. And you should seek to learn that, to better love them and cherish them. And when it's in the commitment of the covenant, I'm committed to you forever. How's this, uh, how's this a good setup for a happy sex life? I'm committed to you forever. 
I'll be humble about the ways I need to grow and do better. I want to pray into my heart, not selfishness, but servanthood. Like repent of the ways you're, the thinking, uh, it's all about you and just being selfish. Repent of that and say, I want to serve you and love you. And yes, I desire you. And in that context, with humility, with servanthood, with honesty in that covenant of commitment what happens things should get better um, it by God's grace becomes more and more free and comfortable I had a, a friend who's a who was a pastor for a long time and he thought of this wonderful analogy about sex you guys remember chia pets Does anybody know what a chia pet is Please help me out here. Somebody nod, right? Yeah, Chia Pet. It's like this, it was a wonderful like 70s, 80s TV infomercial. And it was a little animal, and yet it was a plant. And even talking about it, I don't really understand it at all. It sounds very <laughs> bizarre. But you could buy it, and, you, and it was a, a, like a clay animal, and then it grew into a plant. And uh, why that was appealing, I don't even know. <laughs> but here's what happens. The people who bought it, when it came, it was very plain. It wasn't the Chia Pet yet. And it had to be tended to, had to be cared for. And then later, it's a Chia Pet. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, my friend, he just made this point. When you get married, actually, it's sort of like opening up the Chia Pet. You're like, wow, look at this. This is great. But it's not what it will be yet. It's just not. And I'm just create. I'm throwing that out there and that expectation in prayer and in loving hope. See, the garden analogy is actually in the Song of Songs. The garden that needs to be tended. It's an image in the poem. Gardens need to be tended and watered. And in the covenant of marriage, commitment with humility, servanthood, and when you're committed not just for your own good and pleasure, but for theirs, what happens when two people seek that? Uh, there's blooming. There's growth. And lastly, uh, we're called to, to view the future through the lens of the gospel. And the point I'm making is just the best is yet to come. Um, here's a sad thing. I'll go back to the Ross Douthat article. Sexual fulfillment is seen as like the ultimate good. It's kind of like a basic, unalienable human right. And so our culture is saying, look, if you're not having sex, if you're a virgin, you're a weirdo, you're a loser. But the ironic thing is, uh, here's, here's actually the statistics. Married people have the most sex and the best sex. And by having this impossible ideal, everyone everywhere is supposed to be sexual fulfilled all the time, and that being tied to self-worth, it makes people be really sad. And so Ross Douthat ended the article this way. A culture that too tightly binds sex and self-respect, like you can only respect yourself if you're having good sex. A culture that too tightly binds sex and self-respect is likely in the long run, to end up with less and less of both. Less sex and less self-respect. And it's just tragic. And the, 
the kind of community we're called to in Jesus Christ, we can enjoy this gift. And let's be honest. Sometimes in marriage, sometimes there's things going on in your life. There's suffering. There's hard times in your marriage, which it's not what it could be or what it should be. There's times, there's times when it's just not there, okay, your, your sexual intimacy. That happens. Um, but we pursue enjoyment of this gift without the franticness that comes from idolatry. And that's for a single person or for a married person. Yeah, for those of you who are single and you don't want to be, um, we have the sanity of knowing that, look, uh, this is from God, but it's not from God. And I'm going to read a verse from Psalm 16 here. Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The God who created the barrier reef outside Belize and the mountains of Colorado and sex and poetry and music and art and the joy of friendship and the satisfaction of a really, really good meal being in his presence is fullness of joy. And if you're connected to Jesus, you're destined for that. And so let's use God's gifts and enjoy God's gifts in this world. But we don't have the fear of missing out. Then at this moment, a lot of people suffer from that frantic feeling. Everyone, like the only pleasure to be had in the universe is right here and right now. And just running after that with the franticness that uh, God doesn't want for us. We view the future through the lens of the gospel. We know that we're destined to be with each other and with the Lord of the universe. At who There are eternal pleasures at his right hand. That is our destiny. And actually, yeah, it helps to know that. So, liberty... Um, make love for the Lord's sake, married people. Married people, make love for the Lord's sake and enjoy that gift. Let's all think through sexual intimacy in all of our lives through the lens of the gospel. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come now to the table of your crucified Son who died and resurrected. And we come as those who need the forgiveness that you offer in Jesus, we pray that we would know the freeness and fullness of your grace to us. We pray that we would grow more in the renewing of our minds all the ways that the lies of this world have uh, hurt us and warped us, all the ways that our rebellion has hurt us and hurt others. Remind us of our forgiveness that we have from you and the freedom that you call us to. I pray that you will bless the marriages in this room and their holy uh, enjoyment of this good gift. Please bless that. We pray that humility and servanthood and grateful enjoyment of your good gifts would shape us. I pray for... uh, I pray that you continue to sustain all those who are single and are content in it. I pray especially for those who are single and don't want to be. I pray for all of us who are experiencing temptation in its many different forms. Give us your grace.
please feed us at your table. And we pray this in the name of your Son who came. Amen.